This is a funny story. And in a funny way, it's a romantic story. It's told from two people's perspectives, a workaholic New York City lawyer and her ex-husband. We're talking about the romantic comedy, Emergency Contact, co-written by New York Times bestselling author, Lauren Lane, and her real-life husband, Anthony Ladon. On this, Desideratum. A desideratum is an essential thing. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, and I found so many essential things in this conversation. You're going to hear this husband and wife writing team reveal how each character and scene became a shared endeavor, blending their voices. You're going to hear how the messy journey they put their characters on led to moments of empathy and a closer understanding of the complexities of love. Before we begin, I want to sincerely thank this episode's sponsors. First, Blackstone Publishing. I love the Blackstone story. They were born in 1987 out of a small garage in Oregon, founded by Craig and Michelle Black. With a handful of family members and employees, they built an audiobook business one cassette at a time. Today, Blackstone Publishing creates hardcover, paperback, large print, and ebook formats while continuing to grow their audiobook business. They're home to a vibrant and eclectic community of storytellers and story lovers, adding hundreds of new titles each month to their catalog of tens of thousands of books. The audiobook clips from Emergency Contact that you'll hear in this episode come from Blackstone director and producer Jesse Bickford and Kyle Willoughby. Another big thanks to Positron for supporting Desideratum. Positron provides fantastic services for audio artists, storytellers, and producers. They are trusted by industry leaders worldwide. I use Positron for prepping the scripts and proofing the audiobooks that I narrate. I use just what I need each month through their subscription service. And you can sign up for a free demo of all that they offer at Positron.com. The chapters are coming from both perspectives. We kind of go back and forth. In the audiobook, that's super fun because you hear you hear Tim and you hear Brianna kind of bring those things to life. But even on the page, we're sort of back and forth in each of their heads. Um, did you write that? Did Is one of you, Kate? <laughs> like, did you write it that way? No. no I think we st- Started. We meant to. Yeah, I think definitely. that was the intention. Was like, all right, you take her, I'll take him. Easy peasy. I, I think we maybe maybe got through a chapter and a half before that just that didn't work. Every single part of it has sort of like both of our inputs. And now looking back, I can't really remember what I wrote and and what he wrote. I think we both had little things that were very like precious to us, like the whole hospital scene. That was you wrote that part of the screenplay for the most part. And so then when I got to the the novel version. It just made mm. more sense for him because he he saw that part so clearly. And I think I, Tom in Fifth Avenue too, same thing. Like that that also was you. Whereas some of the like the, the motel scene was like my baby. Oh, that was all you. Like, don't touch it. Yeah. You know, but I mean, like it, regardless of whose point of view that would have been in. I think, yeah, I think actually we took it more, I think almost by scene or setting or moment than we did by character. And that that's not how we planned it to be. Um right. But that's, that's for whatever reason, that's just kind of how the, the writing process unfolded. 
That's fascinating. I thought they actually had very distinct points of view. And I think you, as the reader, you come to that when they see the a truer version of the other person, like every now and then there's an unmasking that happens between them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You add those moments in, you sprinkle those moments in so that we realize that they're still really different people, but but they but they know each other really well. And that that was very romantic to me. I agree. Yeah. It's probably a thing. Oh, sorry, you go. No, I I don't know if that's maybe a function. I think it's maybe a function of us being a husband and wife writing team where it's I, I can appreciate that knowledge of another person, like that just comfortability with them, even if they're totally different. There's that knowing, I think, mm-hmm. knowing your partner that goes into it. Well, and and yeah, and we never we definitely never talked about this. Like it was never like an intentional thing, but I have to think probably both of us as we were writing, if there's not sort of like that innate imagining of, okay, let's pretend that this was us and that we get, mm-hmm. we've gone divorced and say it's, you know, however many years, five years have passed. Like, I think there's sort of that, that instinct, like you would still know these things about the other person. Like you may like hate them or think you hate them. They may get on your last nerve. You know, it may have been like a, a messy, messy divorce, but that, that, that knowledge that you have of who the other person is, like that's never going to go away. Um, and I think that... We don't, I don't think we ever intentionally were like, oh, how can we bring that bring that to the page? But you know, to Anthony's point, just because we are married and we were writing this together, I think that was sort of that got woven in a little bit. Yes, they really see each other, and that's what we're all really craving, right? Is for somebody to really see us. Yeah. 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 I think there was a point when I made notes about, you know, what what is romantic, right? Like, what is what makes something romantic? And I think this book kind of turns that on its head a little bit. You know, they're in this, they're in this crazy, um, could things get any worse kind of scenario? You know, things just keep going wrong. And yet there's, there's something very romantic about the way they work through it together. So I just had me, like, I just at one point wrote like, what is, what is romance? I don't know. you You've taken a very lighthearted story in a lot of ways, but I thought there were really deep connections to like, what does it mean to be romantic with someone? Yeah. 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 That's, that's a great point. Cause I think you think like, just even like me off the top of my head, I'm like, Oh, romance. Like you, it's so cliche. You think like the, like the nice, the nice dates and like everybody's like dressed up and you're having the champagne. Everything perfect. Everything just perfect. Yeah, everything right. perfect. Yeah. Like just how you planned it. But yeah, they're they're really it's it, it's almost more romantic. I think that that they were in this absolute mess of a situation. You know, they're on this smelly bus, all these things are happening. And yet I think I think it's that the world around them is it crumbling, but they know that they still have each other. Like they're in this mess together. And I think that at least in this particular story is is where it comes from because they realize like, oh, we do need each other, we do have each other. Um, we support each other. Yes, that's what it is. They just keep showing up for each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is romantic. Yeah. Well, I, it, I think it, it helps that they're both on a, on the literal same journey. Like they're, they're literally going to the same place, but then also kind of, you know, spiritually or for lack of a better term, you know, romantically they're they're in alignment, I guess. Like they're they're at least on the same page, you know, despite not wanting to be together at the beginning of the book. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, they both really do want to understand what went wrong. You know, where what happened to us? How did we go from being so in love to 
fighting all the time. Um, and I think even though, you know, obviously Tom has his his own agenda in the story, I think at his, like in his heart, at the root of it, he really just wants to know, like, I love this woman. Where did I go wrong? Where did she go wrong? Um, and, and and it's because they're forced into these zany situations. I think that they they had to deal with it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That they might not have ever had to come back to like what what fell apart. And that is actually, that was one of my notes about what I thought was really great. There's a moment where he realizes he's never put himself in her shoes. Like there's a moment where he shifts his perspective about something where he's like, oh, oh, I hadn't really seen it from your perspective. And they're talking about what led to the demise of their marriage. And I really love that because I do think that there's a moment of like empathy or being seen or that him understanding something from her perspective all of a sudden. And it was so cool because you've done this very purposefully. You're telling the story from two separate perspectives through the whole thing. And yet there's these moments where he's like, oh, oh, that's what she, that's what she was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love when that comes together for them. Yeah. uh, Hopefully I, I can take the same lesson in real life. Because I, I mean, because I think that's part of that's part of the romance is like it's like all right, what does the world look like through her eyes, and what would she appreciate? You know, maybe I can understand her even better, and that maybe that's even like the I don't mean to get too philosophical, but maybe that's one of the purposes of love is it it, it does help you grow as a human. I think, and not only do I know myself and what I like, what I'm interested in, but then maybe I can also define it by oh, that's, it's different from that, but I can also appreciate that thing. Well, and actually it's kind of, I, I love that you said that because one of the things that we were struggling with, I think is because Catherine is sort of such an extreme Grinch character, right? Like I'm calling her prickly, but she's, you know, she's, she's, she's a handful on the page. If you're thinking that maybe I spent most of junior high sitting alone at the lunch table, you're quite correct. Though, hypothetically, I'll grant that my lack of popularity might have been due to my know-it-all attitude. At least that was Mrs. Cabrera's stance during parent-teacher conferences. That's Rihanna Cohen. Rihanna is an actress, narrator, and screenwriter based in Hoboken, New Jersey. And she's emergency contacts, Catherine. You know, she's 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 a handful on the page. And I think at really Early on, we had Tom being almost a little bit too saint-like, especially compared to her, because he's this very, like, affable, very likable guy. And I think that really, because we wanted to make sure, it was like, well, what the heck would he see in her when she's just going around, like, yelling at everybody? So we, we really had to, like, one, dig into, okay, why why is Catherine feeling this way? Um, but then also, okay, Tom looking at it and being like, oh, maybe... Maybe Tom wasn't the same. Maybe Tom just just maybe a little bit like better at, at sort of putting putting on that facade than her, and then really going into yeah him having the realization that he's made made it out to be her fault this whole time. And yeah, like so that that digging deeper of him just having these moments of like oh like oh my gosh I wasn't perfect you know. And I, I think that's probably what, what makes a lot of relationships hopefully work is is the willingness to say like oh okay, like maybe maybe how it played out in my head is not how the other person interpreted it. Right, right. Or I don't have all the right answers. Yep. Right. I don't really know. And I so I wondered too, like which one of you is the spreadsheet person? In this book, there's a really like, he has a spreadsheet. He has a plan. 
Yeah, I don't know if either one of us, I mean, maybe you. Probably me, less so now. I would say like, yeah. just generally speaking, I am probably a little little bit more like the organized rigid. Like I don't like to be knocked out of my routine. Like when I am, I'm like, oh no, uh, take a step back, Lauren. It's going to be okay. Where he, you're a little bit more go with the flow right? in, the, in those sort of things. Um, but yeah, like I don't think, and maybe it's just because we've been to, together so long. I think probably actually starting out now that I think about it. We, so we started dating in high school. So going back then, I think probably, you know, when we were 17, I think I was probably much more the like, I'm going to do this and then this and this, and I have a mm. plan. Like I know like, I'm going to college and my major and like my yeah, my yeah. Entire career path planned out and like, you know, spoiler alert doesn't always work that way. Whereas you, you've always been much more like, yeah, let's just dive in and do this thing called life. Um, but I think probably like the more we've rubbed off, rubbed off on each other a little bit. Yeah. I we, I think we both come kinda, closer to center. Yeah. Yeah. That's the secret. I was just going to say that. That's totally the secret. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> to come closer to center, to come closer to understanding the other person's way of, of having a plan. You know, because they both actually do have goal setting, plan setting, but he's very rigid in the in the spreadsheet, which I thought was really funny. And I think everybody can relate to, honestly, like who doesn't have a mental spreadsheet a little bit of like, well, by 30, by 30, I should do this. I should have this done. Yeah. And I'm really trying, like now I have young adult children. And I think if I could go back and tell myself at that age, anything, it'd be like, okay, so you're not going to know until you're looking in the rear view mirror. Yeah. Yeah. That like, this was a turn. You were supposed to take that turn. You were, or you're going to be happy in that direction. Don't force yourself this direction. You know what I mean? And so uh, there's a little bit of that happening in this relationship too, I think. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he eventually finds room in that spreadsheet for her. Well, and she, actually you brought up such a great point that I had never thought about. Because I too picture Tom as the rigid person because we did give him this spreadsheet. And I think actually the spreadsheet early on was even a bigger factor than it ended up being. Like we were like, really, we had it in our head that Tom is the spreadsheet guy. And I think as he unfolded, he was maybe a, a little bit more easygoing than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, became, it, it became a little ham-fisted, I think, yeah, originally writing it. Yeah, we eventually started to feel more like a, a real person, less like the caricature that we had made him out to be. But I had never thought that that Catherine really does have her strict agenda as well because she's just so you know she mm. wants her her career goal actually maybe for both of them it was it was not even so much like is this the right plan it's it's more evaluating why do you want that plan you know for her she has without I don't get too spoily but she has like a very emotional reason that's that's driving her for the things that she wants and I think he does as well mm. you know he, he wants the family he wants the wife he wants this vision of what he thinks his life is supposed to look like, but they don't they don't really like know why they wanted those things until again they're forced into this this mess that we put them in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So where did this road trip from hell? This where did this come from? I know, like from the author's note, I know that you started writing, um, road tripping yourselves, like driving on a long distance road trip. But but what you put these characters through is very um <laughs> almost unbelievable but everything that happens i go well that that could happen oh yeah <laughs> it is actually believable even though it's like yeah oh my gosh yeah i actually think probably that's i think what we figured out you know we had like the overall arching theme like this woman forgets to update her emergency contact information so we knew that from the beginning we were writing it scene by scene just like as as that screenplay format so I think we we had that in place before we even really had the characters fleshed out, which is yeah. different from how I usually write. Typically, I, I know very much who my characters are, and then I figure out, okay, what what could I throw at them that would really make a story out of this? 
what what forms of transportation could they maybe try to take that wouldn't work out? And we just went down the list. So I'm like, okay, bus, train, like rental car, you know, semi truck, Uber. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be really careful not to talk too much about the last, you know, fourth of the book, but like, I just wondered where they even came from. Like the idea, um, oh, I'm really trying not to spoil anything. This, the way it's very creative. The roadblocks that you put up are not just like the flight was delayed. There was a bad storm. Like there's some of those things could have been really predictable. You took it in some very unpredictable messes. <laughs> well, I think what helped with that, the the unpredictability of it was, uh, I think we kind of wanted it to be their fault why things kept going awry. Yes. Because I think for the most part, like nothing is really... I don't think there's too much of like a device in there other than she bumps her head, you know, like the, the, the storm. Hook. Right, the, the storm. But then like it's, you know, all the different modes of transportation that, that fail because of things that they're doing or not doing. And, and sometimes because they're they're fighting. Like that was a big part of it, definitely. Of like, had you guys not been bickering, you know, like you wouldn't have like, I don't, I don't want to ruin it, but like all the, you know, you maybe had, would have made the, the bus or the train or whatever on time. Um so it was, it was sort of, I think, weaving their their inner conflict into that, all the messes that was happening that made it a little more, I'll say a little more interesting. But then I would also add, and I think this made a huge difference to some of the, the scenes, especially like towards the end. One thing that I think we, I don't even know if we actually sat down and like had this conversation, but we must have just come to it uh, together, is we threw realism out the door. Like yeah. that was one thing I'm like, you know what? Like, like, especially like if you were to really like take a timetable and even our, our poor copy editor was like, okay, you know, like, like if they were all the way up here after this happened, like this part of the country, they're not going to make it to like Ohio or whatever mm-hmm. by 3 a.m. the next morning. And we finally were just like, ah. you know, like that's, that's not the story that we're here to tell. We want to tell like a fun, almost kind of more whimsical, not quite like a fairy tale, uh, but that I think made it a little bit easier to free us up to say like, okay, this maybe doesn't, they are all things that could happen. Um, they're unlikely, but yeah, they they're still. Unlikely. But yeah, I, I think the second we we didn't try to make this be like, I'm sure there are people who are like, oh, that would never happen. And, you know, maybe that's just not the reader that we were after with this story. We wanted to tell like an entertaining paper kind of adventure. Yes, you're not looking for the timetable spreadsheet person going, well. Right. <laughs> if you love timetables, proceed with caution on this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I really like what you just said about it, reflecting their inner conflict that all of the external things that are happening, because there's sort of this, there's a moment I think where one of them says like, maybe the universe is trying to tell us something. Um, But it's more that the universe is reflecting what they've been saying to each other. You know, it's more that they're living out something that they've been internally doing to one another. Yeah. 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 Ding. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Let's see. Okay, so who is the thesaurus or the wordsmither here? Because there's a word in here that I had to, I had to be like, have I ever heard that word before? Called termagant. That was him. You put that in there, I think. Or maybe we did it together. That was one. I'm pretty sure it was you. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was. I it might do, have been you. I do love the thesaurus. So that that very well, very well could have been me. So it comes up early in the book. It's a it's a synonym for sort of a, a brusque or nagging woman, a termagant. And I think Tom uses the word, and I, it's very believable coming out of Tom's mouth, but I was like, wait, what is that? Where did that word come from? And I love a good synonym for something I that I hadn't heard before. Um, and, it, and I think that 
towards the end of the book, even he's using the word again and explaining it to his niece or something. So we get we get another sort of definition, a softer definition of it later in the book. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was me. Like, I don't know. Like there's usually it's him that like he uses a word. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? But in this case, I think it was, I was, I was trying to think of Tom because early on, he's so frustrated with Catherine because she is so frustrating. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like I didn't want to use words like, you know, like shrew or like any of these really kind of like negative because that's not actually how he's he's thinking about her. And yet she is this, complicated like mess of a person so I think I think that's where it came from of like okay what's the word that I could use that conveys how he feels about this woman that's not you know completely demeaning yes and it hasn't and it's not going to con- conjure other things for your readers too right right yeah it was a new enough word to me that I was like oh I love that um let's see one of the audio clips I have is from the Blue Hell Moat, or the, which I wrote it that way because that's how the sign is lit up, um, and I, I think it's a it's a chapter where, they're, Tom's just opening the door and they're just getting in the into the room. Oh, now this is very nice, Catherine says with a thick layer of sarcasm, turning in a slow circle and surveying our motel room. Spacious, new, not at all frigid in here. And what does that smell remind me of? Oh yeah, the bus. I manage only a grunt in response to her sarcasm and drop our suitcases and bags into an unceremonious pile in the middle of the floor. What do you suppose they call this paint color? Catherine says, reaching out a gloved hand to touch a wall and then wisely thinking better of it. Dirty diaper? It's definitely dirty something, I say, gingerly pushing aside the ugly floral curtains until I can find the old-fashioned thermostat in the window. That's Tim Page. He's narrated over 200 titles. He's a prolific commercial voiceover actor, and he's a fellow podcaster. He's Tom in Emergency Contact. In this scene, and in a lot of the scenes... I was just tickled several times by descriptions of things, um, whether it was ham juice or flatulence, flatulence on the bus or something. So talk to me about how you brought that um, to the script. Oh, I think Anthony is going to be a little too modest to say this. All right. So much of that was him. Uh, and I'll let you talk in one second, but I'd say like, so I've written rom-coms before, but like, and and like, like I like witty banner. Like I have, you know, my own form of humor, but I think the the fun part of writing with him is he was like, no, I'm here. Like, how do we get more comedy comedy into this? So yeah, you go. But yeah, it was the the ham juice was 100% his line. And yeah, a lot of those kind of the things that are a little bit more, um, not even like zany is not the right word, but that are just unapologetically in there simply because they're funny. You fought for that. Yeah, like I wanted to, I, I, I just I just figure what's going to make us laugh? You know, like what what in this world would make us laugh. And if it's like the scene, I love the scene with the, the hotel owner, you know, and the keychain and stuff. And you, well, you got to buy, you got to buy the thing. Like that was, I, that was actually, we both did that together, but like, I, I just kept, to you. yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, sure. It was mostly me, but like, I, I just kept thinking like, what would make this a funnier scene? What's going to put a smile on someone's face? Cause it's already, there's already emotion in the book. There's already you know, there's already like love and romance in the book. Let's also explore this other part of it. 
And and I think we just kept throwing around ideas and I just kept fighting for what, what's going to make us giggle, you know? Well, and I think we had the conversation too. And I know you don't read a lot of rom-coms, but we've watched a lot of rom-coms. And I definitely yeah. like, you know, like I write in that genre, I read in that genre. And I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a it's a pet peeve of mine necessarily. But one thing that I noticed is that well, that the publishing industry calls things rom-coms, but I'm like, they're, they're, they're contemporary romances that happen to be a little bit more lighthearted. Like, like rom-com is romantic comedy. Like you have to have the comedy in there. And I think sometimes... I, I don't think that's always the case in a book that's called a rom-com. There can be books that I love, but I wouldn't necessarily that I laughed once throughout them. So for us, that was really, and I think because like I'm a romance author and he's a comedian, um, I think we we really did combine those things in the most literal sense. And I think that's what makes this one feel a little bit more special because we really did set out to tell a romance and to tell a comedy and then figure out together, okay, so how do we how do we weave those into a cohesive story? Yes. And I think a lot of times when you first, and I also read a lot in that genre. Um, and I think that sometimes when you come to those stories, what's funny is this sort of biting sarcasm, this kind of um, at the expense of someone, like there's humor that can be at the expense of someone because it's, it's, it's cold and biting kind of comment. And it's not that there's none of that here, but what's more funny to me in this story is the things that they witness and they both think are funny. You know what I mean? Like they, it's their shared sense of humor that made me giggle because it would not just be an observation of something and it wouldn't be at his expense or at her expense. It would be, I don't know. He describes her underwear at one. Oh. It's just funny. It's just funny, but it's observational humor. It's more, um, and I love that they, they end up laughing, sometimes not outwardly at things, but you can tell that they are both finding the same things funny. Yeah. And that's romantic. It is, yeah. And I, I guess, I think that's something that like probably even when they are really at each other's throats, because like you said, they find the same thing. And I never thought about it really that way, but that it's true. Like they're always on the same page. Like, yes, they're irritated with the other person, but you know they're trying to get the other person to laugh a little bit. You know that when they say it, the other person is going to find it funny and not take it personally because they have that sort of, like that couple um, connection, sort of like that silent language, I guess. Yes. Yes. And that's a very, that's a needle to thread. Like that's skillful. I think that finding that comedy on the page, um, I really appreciated it. Oh, great. Oh, that makes us happy. Cause I think yeah. we worked hard at it. I think all the drafts that we did, it was like, okay, layer on a little more, hum- a little more emotion as well. But like, yeah. How can we punch up both the, the heart and the laugh? Yeah. Like, and then make sure that they were balanced too. I think that was, that was sometimes the most difficult part. I just make it, especially in the, those early chapters when it is, um, you know, a little bit more banter and quips and 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 jabs. I think I think we've both been in that position of like throwing out a barb that you think is kind of funny, but then you're like, well, that may have gone a little. Yeah, too it's, far. it's sort of like when you're like going back and forth, and then one just goes a little bit like too far. Uh, and you know, like you know that like that terrible feeling of like, oh, oops, like that hit too close to home or hit too personal, or it was just not. Not quite there. And like that, that kind of regret, I think uh, we definitely wove that in as best we could. I think that's a, again, a normal part of, of being married or knowing the other person as, is, you know, when you're like, Ooh, that's going to, that's going to sting for them. I'm going to pay for that one. <laughs> yeah. That too. <laughs> yeah. Well, so why, why did you do this together? I ask myself that every day. <laughs> I, I think, well, I think, 
we had wanted to write a screenplay for a while together because we're both, I mean, she's obviously been writing books for a while and I've been doing comedy for a bit. And I thought, or we, I think we both kind of thought, well, we're both creative people. Let's maybe, we like working together. So why not try it out? And I think finally we just put our money where our mouth is and we're like, all right, let, we have to write one. We've been talking about this for years. And you picked the, that idea like out of your pool of ideas, your notebook, the the idea of what if a woman wakes up in a hospital, they've called her emergency contact and it's her or ex-husband. Yeah, I think technically the, the origin story was my idea, but it almost felt like it was meant to be where I've had that idea probably like sitting around for, for 10 years. Like it just came to me and I'm like, oh, there's a story here. Like I knew that there was a story here. And for some reason it just... It wasn't, it was never meant to be, I guess, just mine. And so when he said, like, let, let's do this, like, let, let's just write something. And I'm like, well, I have one that, like, I would kind of like to get off the ground. And it, I think we actually really did truly mean it as practice a little bit. Like, we wanted yeah. to give it, like, our absolute best shot. But that's why we didn't spend a lot of time, he and I, sitting around, like, throwing around, like, what's our plot going to be? I said, okay, I already have a plot. Let's just figure out how to write one of these. And then we can get to the real one. But it... it it, it became the real one. Like it just, I think from the, the moment we sat down and started playing with it, just even as an experiment, um, I think we kind of knew, oh no, there's there's something here. Like this is a story that that we will see through. Yeah, I think the genesis of it was a series of what ifs. Like what if we wrote a screenplay? Well, what if we did this idea? Well, what if we picked that one? And what if we, and then actually that's how we kind of came up with all the major beats for the screenplay. It was like, oh, what if they did this? Oh, no, what if they did that? You know, so it was basically like, what if we just gave it a shot? That was kind of how it came. Yeah, to- yeah, it really did kind of start as a what if. And to his point, too, we really did. You know, you just kind of get sick of yourself. Like, you've been thinking about doing something for so long. You're like, but I'm not actually doing it. Uh, and I think we just, like, it helped to have the other person of just like, you know what? We're going to do this. We packed up the dog. We packed, you know, like like all our our notebooks. Uh, and yeah, we, we we drove for a couple hours and we're like, we're not leaving here until we at least, I think we wanted to at least have the beat sheet done. Yeah. Actually, we got a fair amount of the screenplay done in just that weekend. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it happened actually quite quite quickly. Again, sort of it was meant to be a a whimsical little practice. experience. A practice one. It was meant to be, a, yeah, our practice story before we got to our first real screenplay. It's funny how you've played, you'd clearly played on each other's strengths and worked well as a team. And it's always amazing to me how something... Um, when you bring in another person in a creative process, something completely different is born. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When it's truly collaborative, you know, like it's not, it's not what you could do alone. It's not what you could do alone. It's something completely different. That must've felt really good to have that then be um, validated as good as something good and turn this into a novel. We're interested, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it felt, well, even I think from the, just the fact that we were able to finish that screenplay, like that alone, because, I mean, because we never, neither one of us had written a screenplay before and we had also never written together. Like we both have like our, a lot of our individual projects and we're like, is this going to be the cause of our divorce if we try right, this? Right, yeah. We're like, no, no, we had to try. Um, and I still remember sending it kind of like nervously to our agent um, and just be like, oh, I kind of like wrote this thing. And like, you know, we just kind of want to like have her loosely tell us like, okay, it needs to be longer, it needs to be shorter, you know, whatever. Uh, try again with a different thing in mind. And then she pretty much immediately said, can I shop this around? Um, so that was... Yeah, we were like, yeah, yeah. of course. Which, you know, so we we're like, of course, yes. And then like fairly soon it started to get nibbles, you know, it started to get like interest in a way that I think we we just weren't expecting when, no. we, when we sat down to do our little experiment. yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a great life lesson to say, you know, don't wait for perfection. 
like don't hold yourself back by some definition you've created of what like okay well this is just practice right yeah, yeah. i think we kind of thought done is better than perfect let's just give it a shot yeah i love that was there anything that i didn't ask you about about the book or the process or how you work together or anything that um that you want to talk about that i didn't ask no, I was actually kind of going to say the opposite and that like we've done a couple interviews for this and I feel like we've been answering a lot of the same questions over and over and yours were all fresh and new and yeah, I, yeah, I enjoyed this so much. I did too. Oh, thank you. Well, I call, um, the name of the podcast is Desideratum. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a poem called Desiderata that was hanging on the wall um, in my parents' house and I when I had my own kids and my husband and I were trying to figure out how to parent, I hung it up on my wall as well in the kitchen because it's full of these life lessons. Um, it starts with go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. There's relationship advice in it and thoughts about romance and love um, and advice about staying cheerful and being happy with where you are when I was thinking about what could I possibly add to the noise of the podcast world, you know, um, what's not being said already. It was that I thought I love storytelling and storytellers so much and learning about what drives them to tell their stories and what's important to them as they're telling their stories is always as fascinating to me sometimes as the stories themselves. So it's a real privilege to get to talk to people that have that creative desire to put a story out, to entertain, to lift up. So desideratum means the definition, the desire for essential things. And so I like to ask storytellers, you know, for you, and you could answer as a storyteller or as a husband-wife team or any way you like, what do you think is most essential? Ooh. In terms of storytelling or life or... However you want to interpret it. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Okay. What is essential? I'm going to say, so this is sort of something that I always come back to. And and for me, simplicity is essential. And I think that applies to, and maybe I'm getting too deep here, but like for me, that applies to storytelling and my career and I think our life in general. And I feel like pretty much anytime I find myself going off the rails and that could be a book that's just gone like, whoa, I don't like, I can't, this book is stuck. I don't know why. Or if it's myself feeling overwhelmed or even my career feeling unfulfilling, pretty much every single time I'm like, what can I take away? How can I get back to basics? Um, like, yeah, basically just, just stripping away the crap, like whatever you want to call it, like getting rid of the extra. That's something that I feel like I'm always reminding myself like that for me, that's always the answer in, in feeling more fulfilled and being more productive and, and, and more successful, whatever, whatever it is I'm trying to achieve, simplicity for me always seems to be the way to get, to get there. Too deep, too deep. Anthony is like cringing now. <laughs> you can see I was going to say <laughs> chuckles. I said, yeah, humor for you. No. It's yeah, essential. It is. Uh, but I, I think even more essential than humor is presence. Meaning, assuming I've got the base level of the Maslow hierarchy, if I have a place to sleep, eat, you know, all the important stuff. All right. I think, I think it's important to be here right now to, to be able to appreciate just every single moment because some of them are going to suck. Some of them are going to be great. Enjoy it. So yeah, I'm going to say 
like a presence being here. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Anthony and Lauren as much as I did, and that you are enticed to explore the rest of the story in emergency contact. Thanks to Positron and Blackstone Publishing for sponsoring this episode. I'll put everyone's links, including the narrators Tim Page and Brianna Cohen, in the show notes. I'm Teresa Bakken. Thank you for listening. <laughs>